Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for moving uh, Paul, yes, in the midst of his affliction, while he was in jail, while he was in prison, uh, his compassion, his love for the uh, brethren, for the saints there in Ephesus, and for us, motivated, moved him to write this letter. We read of his prayer for them, and that desire for them is also the desire that you have for us. And so we pray that you would enable us to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and depth and width and breadth of your love and your presence and your power and your purposes that we may fulfill those purposes on earth. We ask, O oh Lord, for the work of your Spirit, who guided Paul to write these things, that he would also be our teacher, and he would be the one who applies and plants this word deep in our hearts. We pray, O oh Lord, for the fruit thereof, a hundredfold fruit in our lives, for your glory and for the good of your church. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever felt really alone? Ever been in a situation where you you felt totally lost? Ever, have you ever been in that state? You, you just, or you've come to the to the end. I don't. I I just. I'm I'm alone. I know that for me, when I first moved from Michigan to California back when I was 20, I ran into that experience. Have you ever felt alone in a crowd where you're, there's a thousand people around you and yet you still felt separated, alone? Have you ever had that experience where you're in a crowd and you're the only one that understands the language that you're speaking or at least where you're coming from? 
Does David experience that? Does a lot of the Psalms written with that kind of cry of being alone, being chased? How do you overcome that? Well, the scriptures say one of the ways is that, as it says in the main point, you are never alone. Although this is true of everyone because God is everywhere present, it is especially true for those who believe. Not only did Jesus promise never to leave us or forsake us, and do you ever remind yourself of that? Do you ever remember, oh, Jesus said that he will never leave me or forsake me. Do you ever remind yourself of that? I hope you do. Furthermore, but also, he further promised to send the, us the abiding Holy Spirit. And I have scripture verses there in the outline. But also, those in him are also part of the great cloud of witnesses, a multitude that cannot be numbered from every kindred, tr tongue, tribe, and nation. In other words, the church. How should we say thank you for this wonderful, comforting truth by walking worthy of this calling, which Paul will bring in in chapter 4? Do you understand that you're never alone? Not only is God with you, but we're part of a great crowd, a multitude that can't be numbered. Paul is concerned for that crowd in this letter. As he prays for, if you notice, he says, I continually give thanks and I pray. And then he fills us in with what he is praying for. What does he want God to show us? And if you have been with us, We've been looking at this letter. So far, what we said was this letter is a letter of grace, if you wanted to summarize the book of Ephesians. And so from verses 1 through verses 14, we have been looking at the grace of the triune God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are, he is God and he has blessed us. He starts off by talking about blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that's a key that we haven't really talked much about. In the heavenly places, our blessing is in heaven. Can anyone steal your blessing if it's in heaven? No. In the heavenly places, in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God loved you before he created you, before he created anything. He chose from eternity. He predestined in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself. From eternity into time to eternity, God is love. The grace of God is revealed in the Father. And then a large portion of this uh, section uh, from verses 3 through 14 focuses on the love of Christ and the grace of Christ. And then the last two or three verses focus on the Holy Spirit. So that's what we looked at earlier, the blessings of the triune God. And then last week we began to look at this prayer of strengthening of our faith. And what does he pray he prays, number one, that you may know the hope of your calling. Secondly, to appreciate the inheritance that we receive, that we have in heaven through Christ. And then also, and this is where we're at now, is that we understand his power. That's the focus this morning. 
So I'm going to give you a way to remember the sermon. And the letter of today is the letter P. Okay, kids, listen at least to this part, okay? We're looking at today the presence, the power, and the purpose of God. God's personal presence, God's personal power, and God's personal purpose. Okay, you got that? What else? Those three Ps? Presence, power, and purpose. I'll be asking you later, or maybe some of you adults. Okay. What are the three Ps? Presence, power, and purpose. You got it. Okay. Hold on to that. Well, we'll just be spending time expanding on that. So let's look at, and the first point there in the bulletin, the power of God gives and sustains your life. You understand that? In him, we live and move and have our being. And Paul said that to pagans in Athens, as he's preaching the gospel, as he's preparing, as he's evangelizing among these philosophers, these non-believers in, a- in Athens, he says, in him we all have our existence. God's power is involved in maintaining your very existence. Paul will write in Colossians that in Christ, he holds everything in the universe together. Every atom of the universe is held together by the power of God. What if God were to let go of every atom in the universe? What would happen? <laughs> Be over. He sustains and holds everything together. Your existence you owe to the power of God. Paul will say in Colossians, which we read, In chapter 3, we read chapter 1, but in chapter 3, he says this amazing statement. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is held by Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. Christ is your life. That's an amazing statement. What does that mean? That your life is Christ. For the non-Christian, he does hold the non-Christian together. He does, in grace, common grace, maintain his life. But for the believer, the power of God is greatly expanded and revealed. How so? Notice in verse, getting to our back to our text. Notice in verse nineteen. What does Paul write? And what is the exceeding greatness? of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty 
power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So what's the point there? Paul is stealing or grabbing the different words that are in the Greek language, and he uses them all to try to describe the power of God. He ransacks, that's a good word, he ransacks the lexicon, the dictionary. The word power, and then the word working is actually operation. The word mighty is strength. The word power, again, is exercised might. So what is Paul trying to say here? Well, one commentator says it this way. The writer also desires believers to know the greatness of God's power and attempts to exhaust the resources of the, of the Greek language by piling up four synonyms for power in order to convey an impression of something of the divine might. Deutimus uh, uh, denotes ability to accomplish something. I'll, I won't read the Greek words. The second one, inheritance strength, power to overcome what stands in the way, the exercise of power. So what is Paul doing? He, Paul is trying to communicate to us how great God's ability to do his will. Can anything stand in his way? Nothing. He is all powerful. And what's amazing is he exercises that power toward us. He focuses his energy on those in Christ. And notice, here is the example in verse 20 of that power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the, at the right hand in the heavenly places. The resurrection of Jesus Christ declares the power of God. God's victory over death. God has power over death. How do we know? Because Christ rose from the dead. Does that give hope to us that one day we rise again as well? He has that same power toward us. Paul will say in the letter to Romans, right at the very beginning of chapter 1, verse 4, and declare to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Christ has power. Who raised Christ? The Father raised Christ. He raised himself. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Holy Spirit raised Christ. The triune God raised Christ from the dead. Again, in 1 Corinthians 6.14, if you want to look that up, Philippians 3.10, all of these describe the resurrection of Christ as the premier evidence of God's power. But notice also that Paul doesn't just stop there. He also describes the ascension and seating of Christ at the right hand of God. What does that mean? So Jesus isn't here with us now. He's in heaven. Is that all that it means? The context is power. 
ability to get things done. Is Jesus doing anything now besides waiting for the Father to say, go get him, as some people in the church says? Is he just waiting up there? Oh, no, 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 he's praying for us. Well, he is. That is true. He enters the inner scene. Is that all he's doing? Is just praying for us. All authority, all power has give, been given to me already in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What is Jesus saying there? Before he ascended into heaven, it said, Jesus says, I already have all authority and power. So what happened when he ascended in heaven? He's exercising that power. The idea of being seated is the one who has power, doesn't need to stand. He speaks and it happens. So in other words, is Jesus ruling now? Is Jesus Lord now? Is he Lord just over the hearts of believers or is he a Lord of all? He's the Lord of all. In other words, heaven rules earth now. Anybody ever hear me say that before? You have? Have I repeated it over and over again? Heaven rules earth now. What's the message of the book of Revelation? Heaven rules earth now. Want to read the book of Revelation? Something happens in heaven, then something happens on earth. Something happens in heaven, something happens on earth. Heaven rules earth now. Jesus rules earth now. What is the book of Acts about? Jesus rules earth now. And I could go on. Jesus is Lord. Psalm 110 is an example of Old Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. That was fulfilled. That's the most popular Old Testament passage in the New Testament applied to Christ. Psalm 8, which we sang today, ultimately is about Jesus as the ultimate ruler of the earth. Psalm 2, again, what's the summary of Psalm 2? The Lord reigns, or Jesus is Lord. He's at the right hand of the Lord, seated in a position of favor, victory, and power. Does that bring comfort to us. Your life is hid with Christ in God. That's what Paul said to the Colossians. And like I said, the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians are parallel. He goes on to say, if this is true, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died. When did you die? Did you know that you died? When did you die? Before I was born, right? In Adam we died. We were born dead. And unless the work of the Spirit of God raises us to newness of life, we call it being born again or being regenerated or made alive, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. You died in Adam. You died in Christ and made alive in him. So when did you die? He says, Paul says, when Christ who is our life 
appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death your members then that are on the earth. So as you say, well, if you died to sin, died to the devil, died to the world, what are you to do? Put to death your flesh. Put to death those members that are warring against who you are in Christ. And so he'll go through and put off the old man, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth, and so on. And then he says, well, put on the new man, which is a renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So putting off and putting on is not only in Ephesians, but even more well expounded on in Colossians. So how do I do that? Well, with the power of God. Is God able to put off? Is God able to put on? Is God enable you? Does he want you to? Is that a purpose for the work of the Spirit in your life is that the old man would be put off and the new man would be put on? And the answer is yes. Does he have the ability to do it? Yes. So what's the problem? Me. I'm not trusting. I'm not looking to him and his power. Or I'm relying on myself to do it. And boy, do I fail miserably. Just ask my wife. Second point. The purpose of God gives you meaning and hope. Most of you know this question and answer. What is man's primary purpose? Any of the kids? Do you remember? Do you know that answer? What it, what is our purpose? What's the primary reason for us being here on earth? Anybody? Okay, anybody? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Not nice, that second part is cool. But the first part is, is really, I can show you from Scripture very clearly. Whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, the revelation of God. Why do you exist that God would be revealed one way or other? For your good, we hope, or otherwise. So for the glory of God, and that's why I like that second part, and to enjoy him forever. Let me ask you this. What is the universe's primary purpose? Why does everything exist? For the glory of God would be a, a good, solid answer. That's why. But look what Paul says in Ephesians in our, book, in our text, verse 10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. What is the purpose of the chair that you're sitting on? What is the purpose of the lights that are here? What is the purpose of the sun, the moon, and the stars? According to Paul... It's for Christ. Everything exists for Jesus Christ. Everything. The purpose of creation is for the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. At least that's what Paul is saying. Again, I'll read that. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, in him, 
in him. He says it twice there. Everything exists for Christ. Do you exist for Christ? Well, in one sense you do, whether you like it or not, whether you want to or not. What is God calling you? To want that. To be. He's to gather all things together in Christ. But notice he goes on to say, in our text, he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be a head over all things to the church. So the purpose of Christ includes you and I in Christ, the church. So you could say from another perspective, everything exists for the church, the body of Christ, the believers who are part of Christ. He's the head. We are the body. And so the chairs exist for you in one sense. The light exists for you in Christ. Does that, make, does that blow your mind? blows my mind. I'm in Christ. Everything belongs to Christ. I belong to Christ. That's the logic that Paul is saying there. Paul goes on to say, not only on the earth, but notice he says, just before that, far above, or, or I'm sorry, verse 20, far um, at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above principalities, powers, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in the age which, uh, age, uh, in this age, but in the age that is to come, and has put all things under his feet. So he's talking about this rule of Christ from heaven, and that is far above all powers. Uh, again, one author, uh, Lincoln, writing in his commentary, says it this way. Yet for the early Christians, Christ had not simply disappeared, nor had he evaporated into the universal spirit, but he had departed to a new sphere, that of heaven, which would be appropriate to his transformed body's mode of existence. In view of the history of salvation as a cosmic dra drama, catch that. Salvation, the history of salvation, is a cosmic drama. Christ's exaltation to heaven means that a shift in the center of gravity from the realm of earth to that of heaven has taken place. Isn't that an interesting thought. Focus is not no longer on the earth, but heaven. He goes on to write, Or the central figure in the drama of salvation has been moved from the setting of earth to the heaven where he now is. This is crucial for understanding the writer's perspective in this letter. It is not that Christology has been swallowed up in, in ecclesiology or church, but rather that what has happened to Christ becomes determinative for the church in its relationship to the heavenly realm. Did you catch that? In other words, we've been taught, we've talked about this. Where are you right now? Well, I'm in Dickinson, North Dakota. Well, that's true. But where are you right now, according to the scriptures? You're in heaven. You're in the holy presence of the triune God. Where two or more gather in my name, I am there in the midst, Christ says. 
Is Christ come down from heaven? No, we're not Lutheran. We go up in the Spirit. Right now you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Is that a scripture? Does it say that somewhere in the Bible? Yeah, chapter 2 of Ephesians. Right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are in heavenly places. We are getting, again, a reminder of the, of the true perspective on reality. We're busy during the week doing what we do, what we called to do. And many times we get so caught up in the affairs of life, raising children, teaching, working, whatever it is, that we lose sight of the reality that earth is not the final. Earth is temporary. The things that happen here impact eternity, impact heaven. That's why we come to church, isn't it? At least it should be. One of the reasons is to get our heads out of the earth and get them into heaven so that we can be heavenly-minded, so that we can be of any earthly good because we have the right perspective. That's what Paul is talking about here. The power of God and, like we said, we are now focusing on the purpose of God, that he might gather together in one all things. When Christ returns, he will gather everything together. He will judge, and he will separate. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the source of its life. He is the supreme ruler. He is ever-present with it. He sympathizes with it. He loves the church as a loving husband, greater than any husband. Greater love is no man than this, that he laid down his life for his bride, for his church, which is his body. Isn't that an amazing thought? Does Christ have a body here on earth? Yes. Yeah, I'm looking at it. You and I. We are his body. Again, Lincoln in that commentary. I don't normally quote much from commentaries, but I really liked what he had to say. Here's the summary of this point. All the supremacy and power of God has given to Christ, he has given to be used on behalf of the church. In this way, the church is seen to have a special role in God's purposes for the cosmos. What we do, what you and I do, impacts the rest of the world. When we pray, God answers our prayer. Does he affect earth? Yes. It's an amazing privilege that we have. The power of God being exercised through the church, through the prayers of his saints, as instruments of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. One, uh, one musician writes it this way, Christ has no hands on earth but yours. Christ has no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the hands that minister to the needs of those around. Okay, so what is that, my third point, what does that do for me? What, what am I being called to do? Uh, pastors usually want to apply text, right? They should if they're a good preacher. I don't know how good I am, but here we go. 
So how do I de demonstrate? How do I demonstrate? Okay, what were those three P's, guys? Presence, power, purpose. Very good. Yes. You didn't fall asleep on me. Thank you. So how do, you how do I demonstrate the presence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God? Well, that's what this letter is about. He spends half the letter, chapters 1 through 3, enabling us to know him. And then starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, now, now walk worthy of it, of what you've been called to do. And throughout chapters 4, 5, and into 6, walk, 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 and then stand, 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 stand. So here he's giving commands. Here's how to apply it. So number one, walk worthy of the calling. How do we do that? Well, in verse 3 of chapter 4, switching to chapter 4 where he does that, he says by keeping the unity of the Spirit in the ground, in the, uh, I better read it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is the primary tool of the devil to overcome you and me? What's his number one tool? It's the wedge. Divide and conquer. I don't know how many times my wife and I have gotten into a conflict and we stop and we say, wait a second, this is really going south and we're really not... Somebody else is involved here. Somebody's trying to put a wedge between us. You've ever experienced that? In a conversation, you say something, and the other person doesn't understand what you said, and the next thing you know, it starts going crazy. Me? Am I, am, I, am I the only one here? You? No? You ever seen that, that wedge show up in marriage? Brothers and sisters, so on. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Secondly, verse 13 of chapter 4, grow up. Grow up in Christ, speaking the truth in love. Again, further on, put off. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man. In chapter 5, walk in love of Christ for Christ. Walk as children of light, 5.8. Walk carefully under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the rest of the letter, he's going to say, here's how to take what God has given you, the power of God, through the Spirit, and fulfill God's purpose, which is that all things will be brought together as one. Working and walking together. Remember how I started the sermon? Have you ever felt alone? My answer was, you're never alone. Is that true? Yes. In Christ, by the Spirit, and with one another, with his church. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for these wonderful truths that are found in your word. We are not worthy of the least of your, of your grace and blessings, but yet you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Help us to be able to be of that heavenly mind to be able to see and declare that Jesus is Lord of my life and of everything.
Help us to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Enable us, O Lord, to understand your power and your purpose, and help us, Lord, to fulfill your purpose for our lives. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.